0: Hello everyone, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of SERP Podcast. I'm Radha Qureshi, I'm the Communications and Outreach Associate at SERP. And today we're here to talk about a very dire topic that is childhood sending in Pakistan. And for this, we have our guests, Dr. Agha Ali Akram and Dr. Hina Khaled joining us. Um, Dr. Agha Ali Akram is an Assistant Professor in the Department of Economics at the Lahore University of Management Sciences. He received his doctorate in environmental economics and masters from Yale University. His research explores themes in public health, including drinking water quality, mental health, nutrition, and family planning. Dr. Hina Khalid has a PhD in public policy and administration uh, from the Rockefeller College of Public Affairs and Policy, State University of New York. Her research focuses on improving health system performance and reducing health inequities with a focus on maternal and child health and infectious diseases. So, first of all, thank you both for being here today.
1: Thanks, Ghada, for having us over.
2: Thanks, Ghada, thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, so they will be talking to us about their research on childhood stunting in Pakistan. So, to start off, Hina, could you tell us a bit about childhood stunting? Um, How does it impact children in Pakistan and how pervasive is it really?
1: Okay, um, yeah, so um, let me start with the very basic sort of definition of what stunting is. So child stunting, or as we call it, uh, low height for age is an anthropometric indicator, which measures the overall well being of children. So children who are two standard deviations below the median height for age uh, of child growth standards are considered to be stunted, right? And we're talking about children who are less than five years of age. Uh, so, to think about this more simply, uh, a child is considered to be stunted when he or she is too short for their for his or her age, from medical perspective, right? So, let's. Um, Take the example of a child who's, going, who's growing from zero months to six months. So the child should be following a particular growth trajectory. And if this child is not following that growth trajectory, that is, you know, his or her height is not at a certain level, plus minus a few standard deviations, which is the acceptable level, then we consider this child to be stunted. Okay? So that's, that's how we think about stunting uh, globally, actually. And, uh, and you asked that, you know, also that what is the situation in Pakistan. Uh, So I think across almost all low and middle income countries, the situation is pretty serious. So let's take the example of South Asia, right? Pakistan definitely is one of the countries in South Asia where you have very high rates of childhood stunting. So approximately 38% of children, according to the DHS, 2017, 18, are stunted in the country. And, but, but India is not far behind it. Again, that also has 38% of children who are stunted. Nepal has 36% children who are stunted, but then there are certain other uh, regions which are slightly better performing. So for example, in comparison to uh, these other South Asian countries, Myanmar has 29% of children who are stunted. Uh, so you know you see variation across the region, but in general, South Asia still has high rates of childhood stunting and in Pakistan, of course, as well.
2: You know, you and I have sometimes um, kind of, uh, you know, we've exchanged this fact, which is a a surprising and and sad fact that, um, you know, despite the fact that our, uh, our neighbor, Afghanistan, has been at war for the last four decades, surprisingly, their stunting rates are maybe a little bit better than Pakistan's. So it's kind of, we're in a funny situation where, despite relative stability, we're not able to sort of break out of this, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess this gets into the whole issue, which is the multidimensionality of stunting, right? So for example, when we think about stunting, it's not just one factor, Adi, uh, The you know, which leads to stunting. So, I mean, if we were to sort of list down the factors, we could broadly classify them into three main uh, reasons. So you have nutrition, you've got health, and then you've got the environment. So, so poor quality nutrition leads to childhood stunting. Uh, what does this mean? So what this means is that uh, when a child, is a child being breastfed the way he or she should be? Are they being given appropriate food? Is their complementary feeding adequate, right? So this is what we mean by nutrition. And across low and middle income countries, you know, you don't have proper uh, nutritional practices, which is why we see very high rates of childhood stunting. And then related, on a related note, I mentioned health and there we're we're talking about factors such as Um, Are mothers getting prenatal care? Are they getting postnatal care? Who's the child being delivered by? Is it like, you know, a doctor? Is it just somebody who's not trained? Um, Then we also have this issue which comes up with reference to age-appropriate vaccinations, right? And you know that in low and middle income countries, you have all these um, sort of, you know, the quality of health systems is weak, which is why there are often gaps which are there in service provision or there are issues in access and all. And I guess the third factor, when we think along these lines, has to do with the environment. And here we're talking about um, uh, water, high, water sanitation, and hygiene conditions. Which, alias, uh, you also like. You did a project on childhood diarrhea, and you saw that you know how diarrhea really affects the health of children as well. So, so when you have poor wash conditions, that shapes the uh, disease environment. You know allowing pathogens to enter and so on. So all these different factors contribute to childhood stunting. And so absolutely Afghanistan has a different set of factors which drive stunting as compared to the factors that are driving stunting in Pakistan. So we have this uh, sort of, you know, this side of things as well. And then obviously there's this whole uh, sort of uh, other, other aspect to it, which is also like super important, which is in terms of the political economy of childhood stunting. So we've seen that uh, nutrition has remained an issue, which has been relatively neglected. So, um, I mean, we can think about this in terms of, uh, you know, you have issues in the global health agenda that are floating around. So for example, we've got malaria, we've got TB, we've got hepatitis, HIV, and then there's childhood stunting as well, right? So all these issues are competing with each other for attention. And nutrition is something which has remained neglected over the years. And it's just now that with the advent of the SDGs and all that, you know, we see that stunting is starting to gain traction, nutrition is starting to gain more uh, attention, which is why, you know, the efforts are being now taken to address it. So absolutely. Um, Yeah, I I can see, you know, how it's sort of confusing that, you know, Afghanistan, Pakistan sort of different, what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Right. Thank you, Anna, for providing that very important context to this debate on childhood stunting. Um, now, Ali, can you give us a brief introduction of the research that you conducted and how it started out?
2: Sure thing. So um, I'll lay out a few facts about what we what we've been up to. So as Hina has indicated, stunting's a huge problem in our region and for our country in particular, right? Um, so a lar- it's a you know, it's a, a large group of us, uh, international group of us who've been kind of um, working on this over the last couple of years. It includes Hina and myself here in Pakistan, but it has researchers in Japan, Sweden, and the United States. So it's a large international group, and uh, we were uh, inspired by this idea of feedback. Um, so some earlier work of mine had uh, looked at providing poor urban households with uh, feedback on disease. Uh, specifically, I was trying to get households to use, uh, to take up uh, water chlorination. And my thought was, if I could let them know how badly their water is affecting their children, maybe they'll they'll take it up more. And that's what we found. And we found that providing households a way to just, just giving households feedback on uh, their children's diarrheal disease incidents improve their uptake of chlorine. So we thought, is there a way to port that that kind of thinking, that idea of feedback over into the domain of nutrition? Okay, can we do that? And we find that um, there's very limited evidence of having tried this, right? This kind of feedback on growth and nutrition, is very limited, there's very limited evidence out there. Um, and I'll speak to that in a, in a second as I get into the details, but um, there's, there's limited evidence on providing Growth feedback, growth monitoring feedback to households. The effect of that, there's there's no evidence, there's no real evidence out there on it, very little, little evidence on it. Uh, and so what we did was we thought, okay, well, how about we try that? How about we, um, how about we provide this feedback to households? You know, one of the things is that, so we're we're, when Hina was describing the the nature of this problem, this stunting, uh, the challenge of stunting correlates with. Uh, households who are poor—it's the poorest in our society who are affected by this. And the thing about being poor is there are many challenges you face, including, um, including uh, health inputs. Um, richer households get to take their children uh, to a doctor on a regular basis to get feedback. Uh, the doctor they just go in for checkups, right? A yearly or um, six, when you're a very young child, you go in every few months. And when you get older, you go in for an annual checkup and you get feedback. And so richer households get feedback on their child's health, but poor households don't. Poor households don't go to a doctor unless they're at death's door, because it's expensive. Healthcare is is not cheap. And also because, um, you know, uh, there's non-financial costs to a a household. Imagine uh, a, Young mother who's trying to run a household. She's got to take care of this house. She's got to take care of three or four children. How is she gonna pick up a child and decide? Well, guys, I'm off. I'm gonna go take. Care. I'm gonna get this child checked checked by a doctor. So see you in a few hours. It's mm-hmm. very hard to imagine that happening. So what we did was we thought, okay, well, there's there's this idea that we can provide feedback, and maybe what we can do is we can take it to the household. We can provide this feedback in the household. So we we'll go to people and provide this feedback to them at their doorstep. So, so we did this experiment. Um, so we did this project in, in Karachi in this kind of urban slum and it took a couple of years. Uh, we, you know, I think the, the germs of this idea, uh, you know, we, back in 2016 sometime, uh, and then we first got some money in 2019. And then it was, um, uh, we started so that's when we started this 20, summer of 2019 we started some work we started we did our interventional work the actual going to households and which i'll describe in a bit uh that was between october 2019 and march 2020 and that's right about when the pandemic hit right uh and then we and then we followed up with these households in in late 2020 in october of 2020 so we had a like a couple of years of of work in this community
1: Right. Yeah, and I just want to quickly sort of emphasize the point which Ali added in terms of, um, you know, the opportunity cost of time, it's so high with all these households, I mean, uh, in terms of, you know, leaving what you're doing, and then actually going to the health facility. So, so this thing that you can actually get feedback sitting at home is so important, and it's so powerful. And um, also like if you just think about this in, 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 you know, in terms of our daily lives as well. So for example, you know, when in our personal lives or even at work, if we get feedback, that sort of tells us, okay, yeah, you know, how are we doing? What are the areas that we need to improve on? So this is the same sort of concept there. So it's just something which is so relatable and so simple, but it, it just had to be kind of put to test here. And I think that that's really what, what's driving the heart of this project, this particular idea.
0: Okay, so Ali, can you tell us a little bit about the methodology of the study? How did your research approach this whole issue from a methodological standpoint?
2: Sure. So, um, the the quick summary is this: that we provided in-home growth monitoring to a set of poor households in Karachi. We went to their homes and we provided growth monitoring to of their children at their homes, and. We did this for six months, and a year later when we went in again, we found substantial effects on the height for age um, uh, anthropometrics of their children. Their children were taller, okay? So that's the two-line summary. So the details of it are this, So, um, and there are two pieces to it that you have to keep in mind, right? One is the, the pieces of what we did. What is What is the intervention that we did? What are the actual pieces of the intervention? What do we do with the households when we went in? And then the second piece of it is, what's the framework in which we were able to scientifically understand what the impacts were? How can we say scientifically that we actually made an impact, like we actually made a difference? Um, so let me quickly describe what we did. Um, what we did was that we went into to this, like I said, a poor um, slum settlement and we recruited community health workers. We um, recruited people locally uh, with um, some minimal level of education. And what we trained them to do was to go to a household and do a few things. First, we trained them to be able to go in and provide a bit of nutritional counseling, okay, age appropriate nutrition counseling. And for this, we spoke to local nutritionists and pediatricians and we got serious advice on what is age appropriate nutritional advice, right? So, for example, at six months, You uh, often stop exclusive breastfeeding, and you introduce complementary feeding. You introduce new foods. So what are the kinds of foods that mothers can try? What's locally available and nutritious and cheap and easy to make? So we provided this kind of quick and simple advice um, through our community health workers, Okay, So our community health workers, we trained them to, one, provide advice on nutrition, age-appropriate nutrition. The second thing we did, which was the really big thing, the big innovative difference, um, was that we had these health workers carry devices with which they could measure the height and weight of children. Now, it sounds pretty simple, but it's actually a little bit difficult. It's not that easy. Measuring the height of a squirming child, it's not that easy. So you gotta you gotta if there's a way to do it. So we had to train them to do this. So we so our health workers would not only provide nutritional advice, but they would also go in and, and measure the height and weight of a child. And they did this interactively. They had the mother be part of the process. They would say, okay, why don't you put your child here? Okay, now you do this and you see the height is this much and you see the weight is this much. And so they were kind of providing this feedback. And so what happened was that we we trained these community health workers, and then these health workers would go once a month to our treatment households, to households that we designated as treatment households, those who were receiving our programmatic inputs, right? So they would go once a month and do this whole nutritional advice and this, this growth monitoring and feedback um, and they did this for a period of six months. Okay, so so we consistently went month after month for six months, and we provided this feedback. So this started in October of two thousand and nineteen, and ended in March of two thousand and twenty. And you'll note that March of two thousand and twenty is right when the pandemic kind of started to kick in, and these lockdowns and things started to occur. So our interventional work, our programmatic work, stopped right around when things started to. The pandemic started to kick in. Then we we held off, we stayed away from everybody. We'd done our work, we stayed away for about six months, and we returned in October of 2020. That's when the this wave of, of COVID had kind of cycled down a bit. And so we were able to go back and visit our households again and, and check in on them. Now here's the here's the second piece that's important, right? The first piece was what we did, but the second piece is. Uh, interventionally, what is it that we did? What what is it that we provided to households? But the second piece is, well, how do you understand what what difference we made, right? Like, how can we be scientific about understanding the difference? There's many ways to do this. There's a whole group of methods out there uh, to evaluate uh, policies. What we use is called a matching design, okay? And so what we did was we found households within the same community who looked a lot like our treatment households, those who we had provided this input to, right? We found neighboring households, households within the same community who looked a lot like them. And so we matched households to our treatment set. And then you can say, okay, you can make a fair apples to apples comparison. So six months later in October of 2020, after having finished all our activity, we went and we surveyed households who were part of our program. And we surveyed matched households who were not part of our program. And then we saw, What's the difference? What's the difference between those who didn't get our input and those who did get our input? And lo and behold, we find a very substantial effect on the height for age Z scores of children, the measure of, of stunting, the measure of growth. We found that we get almost a half standard deviation increase in um, height for age Z score. That's, that's pretty big. That's a big deal.
1: Yeah, that's something that's not easy to move. <laughs> I should sort of just add that for emphasis sake. So it, it's a pretty big finding.
0: Right, that's very interesting. Um, And also the other
1: thing uh, to it, uh, sorry for interrupting you, but the other Mm -hmm. thing also is that um, having this result during the pandemic is especially uh, fascinating because it shows resilience, like in in terms of, you know, households really responding to what, you know, what is being imparted to them as well. So I think the fact that the pandemic hit and we see that, you know, a certain behavior is still continuing on. Um, That was really fascinating for us as well.
0: Right. Yeah, that's actually what my question was as well. I was just about to ask you that, you know, like how did COVID impact your findings? Because you mentioned that the timelines kind of matched. So is this how you think that it played out in the end in terms of the findings? So did you have to adapt a lot? Or was there any resistance like while doing the research?
2: Yeah, so I think that's the thing. So as Hina was saying, so there's I think we kind of we were lucky in some ways, and we were lucky and unlucky. I mean, having a pandemic is a pretty unlucky thing. I think we can all agree. Yeah. But um in terms of time, that, our field protocols required that our our health workers interacted with households. Right, they have to go to the household and sit inside the household and talk to the mother and and get her to do interact in the measurement and talk to her in close proximity the thing is that this the lockdowns occurred right as we ended so we didn't need to adapt we didn't need to change anything the thing is that on the on the flip side as Hina was indicating it does potentially impact or it uh it does potentially modify our impacts right like uh, the fact is that this pandemic has damaged the um, It has, it's, it's potentially made them poorer, right? Um, but the fact is that, despite that, when we went in six months later, we found substantial gains in height, but we did get our input, tells you that this is a pretty robust kind of uh, program that we have, robust to the effects of the pandemic.
0: Great. Right. Um, That's very interesting, definitely, and yeah, you're right, lucky and unlucky both in that sense. But uh, Hina, could you tell us a bit about like the policy implications then? How do you see that this research could help in developing policy on the issue of childhood stunting?
1: So, uh, um, I think one of the main findings which really jumps out right from our study is the importance of empowering caregivers, right? So here we just did something as simple as, you know, go in, give counseling, and then more more importantly, along with that, we paired that up with feedback to the caregiver, right? So the caregiver was given all this information, this feedback tool as well, the growth charts, which were installed and the measurements and all that were happening. And they could really monitor and see that, you know, okay, is the child growing? Is the child not growing? Are they underperforming? Are they all right and stuff? And they adapted their behavior. According to that, it seems based on on the results that we're seeing, right? So I think what our major, major takeaway here is that empowering the individual who is taking care of the child really makes a big difference. So I think that would be sort of like our main uh, sort of uh, policy implication. And then, Ali and I were just talking about this, and probably Adi can say more on this is that, you know, the scope for uh, sort of um, from a cost perspective, how this can sort of be combined and scaled up with existing and ongoing work that's going on.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. So the thing is that, you know, what we did was um, from the very beginning, we made sure that our design was something that could integrate into the existing infrastructure. So Pakistan, like many developing countries in, in the world has a large army of these community health workers. Uh, They can be both government and non-government, right? NGOs have community health workers and government has community health workers. Like Pakistan's most famous community health worker program is the lady health worker program. That's a community health worker program. These are people from within the community who go around and provide that first layer of health services. And so from the very beginning, our intent was that we make something that is in theory, something we can dovetail, something we we can fit into the protocols of existing community health worker programs. And, and Hina, as you, as, as you suggested, so there's a couple of things. One, you know, the remarkable thing is that even though what we asked our health workers to do is actually pretty technical, it's not an easy thing to do. Measuring height and weight is prone to error. It's difficult, but we got good quality measurement from our workers. We, we managed to train these uh, workers from within the community who have barely high school degrees and we got them to do something pretty tricky and you can do it. The point is we've demonstrated you can do this. So health workers from recruited from low capacity settings can do this. And the second thing is that it's pretty low cost. We're not expensive. Uh, if you look at the uh, comparison of cost effectiveness, we're definitely on the lower end of the spectrum. You know, Averting a case of stunting can cost from as little as, as little as $250 a case to maybe over a thousand dollars a case. We're somewhere at about $350 uh, per case mark, which is good, that means we're cost-effective. We're on the lower end of the spectrum. So that's actually a good thing. So so sustainability-wise, definitely can we, we can imagine that this can be stitched into existing programs, community health worker programs. There's no reason to think we can't do that.
0: Right. And um, the question that kind of comes to my mind here is that, you know, like, for this to happen, what, like, how does it actually come to that? Like, how does, like you mentioned, Hina, in the start that, uh, you know, some health issues come and go out of, like, the main, like, the, how do I say it, the, uh, the policy agenda, kind of. So So what does it take for an issue to climb on the top of that priority list?
1: Oh, this is this is a question on which people have devoted their entire academic careers <laughs> to sort of understanding, you know, what makes it to the policy agenda. So um, I'll I'll just talk about like some of the main factors which are talked about in the literature uh, and also which we see in action. Yeah, so like for, in
0: Pakistan specifically.
1: Um, so, for example, so I think for an issue to make it to the to the top of the policy agenda, or actually to even get to the policy agenda, there need to be several conditions that are there. So the first is that we talk about, which is issue characteristics. So which is that, what is the severity of the issue? How severe is the issue? Remember I was mentioning issues compete and all. So it has to be an issue which is severe. Then are they measurable indicators? Can you quantify you know, the scope of the problem? That's there. Then, are there any solutions there? Because naturally, when you want to solve an issue, there need to be solutions there. So that's that's important. The second factor here would be um, the ideas. Like, how is the issue being framed? So this gets into the whole point about framing. Is, for example, child stunting being framed as an issue, which is a which is just a health issue, or is it being framed as a human rights issue? How is it being framed, right? So framing is really important. And then the third point here would be that uh, the policy environment in which the actors are operating, right, how supportive is it of, you know, for example, health or, you know, are they just more interested in spending on other uh, areas, and then I guess the last important uh, factor here would be actor power, right? So at the end of the day, it's all about the strength of individuals who are uh, working on an issue and the networks through which they are connected both with each other and with other actors also in the entire network. Because remember I was mentioning earlier at the start when you were having this conversation that uh, you have uh, stunting is a multidimensional issue. So you've got health which, uh, effects then you've got nutrition, then you've got environment. So if you just think about how the way in which, you know, this economy is organized, right? Um, you have everybody working on different areas. So how connected are they? Like how much influence are the stewards of the health issue able to exert, to connect across different sectors? So I think so. these are all different factors which lead to an um, sort of something making it to the policy agenda, which might make you think that, oh my God, you know, how is something ever going to get to the <laughs> policy agenda, but, it, but it's very sort of doable. So for example, if you take the case of India, uh, there in Maharashtra, they uh, they really worked towards uh, addressing childhood stunting and they managed to build partnerships across different sectors and brought down stunting. Similarly, in uh, Peru, uh, their, one of their presidents, uh, President Garcia, he had this five by five goal, which was basically that uh, we will reduce stunting uh, okay, if I say this correctly, we will reduce stunting among children under five by 5% in five years, right? So that was sort of like a catch line, a slogan which they had to address stunting. So these are all ways in which, you know, you can garner more attention uh, for the issue. So, yeah, and, and we see like Adi, we were talking, discussing this earlier as well that, you know, the Prime Minister mentioned uh, stunting in his inaugural address as well. So there is attention tension that's been starting um, to be given to the issue and also so we're hopeful, yeah.
2: Hina, just I to add. To, you know? Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, Rada. No, no, they're
0: carrying
2: on. I was just going to say, you know, I mean, one of the things that um, you know it's important to note is that there are long-run consequences to to stunting. Maybe Hina, you can kind of just say a couple of lines about that because I think this is an intergenerational issue for us. This is serious. Our policy make it, it's you know it's a good sign that our policymakers are taking this seriously because I think this is an intergenerational issue. It has long-term consequences, right?
1: Absolutely, Ali. Uh, that's such an important uh, thing to flag because I mean when you look at stunting so I mean it's obvious that you know when a child is stunting uh, stunted they're weaker Uh, they're more likely to fall more sick right and then also we think in terms of the child going to school okay the child is going to underperform in school but then they this actually goes all the way up into a child's adult life as well they're they're going to be low performers and they're also going to underperform at their work their earning potential is also much lower and this has been shown in in multiple studies as well so in that sense you have all these sort of long-term consequences and And if you think how is society made, society is made up of individuals, right? So the consequences are not at an individual level, they're at a societal level, uh, which affects societies, which affects the economy as well, right? So uh, absolutely, this is a very, very serious issue and it definitely needs to be uh, addressed.
0: Right, and lastly, my question to both of you. Um, what are the future directions do you um, think you're going to take with this research uh, in terms of scalability and how it can be expanded possibly?
2: Uh, Hina, do you want me to do a quick shot? Go ahead.
1: Go ahead. OK.
2: Well, what, um, well, first, we're looking for lots of money. So, so if anybody yeah. out there wants to give us lots of money, we'll take it and we'll expand this work. Um, on a serious note though, um, we are definitely thinking about the future for this one, right? Like we found promising results here. This is not something we can ignore, this is, ignore. This is we found res- uh, evidence that we shouldn't leave on the shelf, we should do something with it. And for, a, for an issue as serious as this, so, so there's a few strands here. One, we want to understand if this is a fluke of that locality, is it something that will work elsewhere? So. One of the strands uh, is spatial. Uh, can we spread this out to more countries? Can we try it in different contexts? Will it work in Bangladesh? Will it work in India? Will it work in you know other parts of Pakistan? So that's one of the things we just want to try and spread it out a bit to see if this has validity outside of the location we went and the time that we did this in, right? Maybe there's something special about that place. So one of the things is to try and see if it works in other places. Can we replicate this elsewhere? The other thing that we want to try and understand is um, it is more scalability oriented. So one, can we actually stitch this into existing protocols for community health workers? There are so many programs out there, like I said, government and non-governmental. Can we actually do that? Can we imagine, like we can imagine it certainly, but can we actually stitch this into um, the protocols of an existing program? And, um, uh, you know, how intense does this have to be? Does it have to be monthly for six months the way we did it or can it be a little a little more light touch can we save costs somewhere so 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 one strand of it is kind of this exploring the scalability so we're we're we've got des, uh, designs in our mind for what we do next where we're approaching donors and we're thinking about our uh, about our next steps and these these two strands are the big ones um, more locations for external validity and um thinking about scalability in a serious way
1: Is
0: right.
1: there something the you'd like bit. to add, Hannah? No, I think those, Ali has covered what we've been thinking and discussing and, you know, because we've been working on this uh, collectively. So, yeah, I think those are the main directions. And I guess, like, it would be very satisfying if we actually see the work that we're doing getting used as well, because that's actually the objective of why, you know, you go through all this effort and exercise of doing this. So, absolutely, I think. So, getting it mainstreamed in existing sort of ongoing work relating to stunting is one of our major goals as well.
0: Okay, all right. Thank you both so much. This has been very, very interesting and very informative. Um, thank you so
1: much. Thanks, Tada. It was nice chatting about uh, this issue with you and thanks for ha- Thanks again for having us over.
2: Thank you for having us, Tada. Thanks so much.
1: Yeah,
0: so we'll end here, right? Um, the recording is still going, but
1: yeah. So
0: yeah, that was really good. Thank you so much both.
2: Yeah. Yeah, nice I think it it be
1: nice. It uh, was, yeah, it was good. Yep. natural too, and I
2: think, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry about the redo. I just couldn't swing it somehow. I, I don't know why, Apologies. Yeah, that's
0: fine. I just, like, I hope the editing goes fine because I haven't, like, done video editing and, like, we might have to ask someone for, like, uh, something to, like, you know, kind of patch those together. But yeah. other than that, it was really the discussion itself and the content was really nice, so, yeah.
2: Great.
0: So I'll let you both know um, about um, how this turns up and if there is a need for any edit and like if I need any help from you guys, I'll let you know. But uh, most probably this will go up now in like um, uh, three weeks or something uh, because there there are few others and then this will go up. Great. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you so much, both.
1: Okay. Thanks, Thanks, Ali. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. Thank Take you. Care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.